0: Hello, my name is Jason Reichel and you're listening to Risk Management Brick by Brick. I'm fascinated with people who are helping build and maintain the physical world around us. On each episode of this podcast, we'll dive in with a risk manager, speak to them about how technology plays a role in this process. Our guest for today's episode is Mark Reeder, the head of innovation at NFP. Mark leads NFP's innovation and digital transformation efforts. As a thought leader in our industry, Mark is an author of multiple articles, speaks regularly at events, sits on a number of technology advisory boards. What came across in this interview is how Mark is methodical, passionate, knows what the hell he's doing. Let's get to the show. Hello, Mark. Thank you for joining me on Brick by Brick. My first question for you is, in your career, you've, kind of done a lot of work focused on taking industry and evolving it. I would like to understand from your perspective, what are the attributes that are necessary to be successful in a career leading organizations to digital transformation?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of different things that you kind of have to be equipped with. Number one is, I guess it's getting bored with status quo. <laughs> is something that does drive people to want to see change. I've never been one to sit back and want to do the same thing repetitively over and over. And in many industries, if you're not changing, inevitably you're doing that. Although customer situations could change, it's the same process. So I think it's part of that. It's also a desire to be better, to constantly try to strive to be a little bit better than the next person that's coming in that just causes you to want to evolve your business model. So I think it's it's both of those things. And I think it's also not being deterred from detractors because there's only plenty of people out there when you bring new solutions to the table that want to tell you it's a dumb idea. That does not mean that you want to be overconfident, but you also want to make sure that you're feel good in standing up for yourself and your idea and seeing it through doesn't mean it's always going to be the right idea. And you have to also be smart enough to kind of hit pause and or trash it and move on, but to be able to come up with those ideas, drive them forward and see and drive them to the fruition.
0: I think one thing you just mentioned that I totally agree with is the enemy of transformation is inertia, inertia of going in the same direction. What are some tactics that you deploy or that you found successful in combating inertia of organizations or the industry itself?
1: I talk to the folks that I work with on my team a lot because when you're working from an innovation perspective, which is really change management, it can be frustrating, right? You can get uh, off of a call where you feel like you're driving things and then boom, you get hit with somebody's feedback and you're just like, sigh. And then like, what the hell? I kind of akin it to a game and it's really, it's how do we get the folks to come up with the ideas on their own? They're not flowing out of their brains yet. Otherwise, they'd already be doing that. And I always tell people in the innovation space that that's job security. So it's a good thing that you do get frustrated because everybody had the ideas and was moving forward. There'd be no need for us to help drive it. But you can't the innovations team idea that gets pushed out and gets adopted. It has to be you bringing them along. So I think anybody that's playing a role like mine or just within an organization that's trying to bring their teams along, you need to figure a way out. And it's almost like a game of getting them to come up with the idea. And it's whether it's laying breadcrumbs along the way, there's a number of different tactics, but that's super critical. Otherwise you're not going to get the buy-in. You're not getting the buy-in. And I think this is why corporate innovation fails is you see all these teams and sitting to the side, crafting up their ideas and think they're gonna have pixie dust to come in and drop on the organization. And Presto Magic, it's taken care of, and that's not that's why you have 80% failure rate.
0: Yeah, talking about the 80% failure rate, I always think my background is in consulting. I have led innovation for a long time. I always told my team innovation, is, similarly, I think, is like being Q from the James Bond movies, not being James Bond. You're equipping the team with frameworks and other elements so that when the time comes and their context is put into fray, they will use those frameworks and tactics to innovate versus going for the traditional sort of route, which usually is the ones that they know the most commonly.
1: hundred oh, percent. I mean, that's not that everybody doesn't want to always be James Bond. I mean, he's a cool dude, but you're right.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I'd rather be the one that's not putting my life in danger, quite frankly. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, if you look at it that way. but <laughs> Yeah. How does one, like, what was your background? How did you end up? Because like, Now, I think more and more in colleges, there's innovation as part of an MBA program or something like that. But how did you yourself end up in innovations, particularly in the insurance industry?
1: Yeah, I always joke about this. that I studied four years all on insurance, but nobody, I feel like the majority of the people you speak to in our industry, other than maybe actuaries, right, came to it by chance. Mike, I came out of school with a finance economics drive. Wall Street, although I thought it was going to be for me, was not. And the fallback on that was financial planning, which is a fancy word for insurance sales. And that's personal insurance sales, but insurance sales nonetheless. And that's where I had met somebody that was dabbling in the group market space and learned to understand that corporations spend a lot of money and a lot of time and have a lot of exposure to premiums and risk, whether it be on the corporate benefits side and or on the business insurance side. And we're kind of, it was a big ticket, so it was something that people needed to look at on a regular basis. And it wasn't, to be honest with you, it wasn't nighttime kitchen table conversations, it was daytime activity, which was super exciting to me as a young person. Yeah, things kind of took off from there, gathered a few meetings and realized what the business model is and said, hey, we can differentiate here. We are young, a couple years out of college and actually a year and a half out of college. and. Didn't have friends in the HR space, but felt that we could bring something different to the table. And at the time, it was benefits administration. It was taking a lot of the legwork and the grunt work off of the HR department and helping them through those tasks. Over time, we started to adopt technology to support what we were doing for our customer and looked around the industry candidly and said, wow, like this is an industry that does not have a lot of technology present and so there's a huge runway here. I'm going to kind of stay in this space. And it's kind of snowballed from there. 10 years ago, came onto the corporate side of NFP, had sold my practice to them 20 years ago. 10 years ago, came on the corporate side to take that HR practice and HR ben admin practice and build a national practice off of it. Then realized that companies had a need that more and more mid sized lawyers were adopting HRIS, HCM technology that became more affordable down market. So we expanded into that and we always kind of moved where we thought the industry was going and to provide help provide guidance. And that's what led us to innovation and then led us to really focusing on all the insure tech, FinTech solutions, company market, which led to our digital transformation. So it was kind of trying to stay ahead of what the market was demanding. And luckily enough, a lot of green space in the insurance space because it's been a laggard and you could point to use cases in industries all around and so I wasn't really. In many cases, people might say, "Oh, that was a good vision there." Eh. And not. I don't. Want, I'd love to give myself credit, but not really. Just look around and use a model of somewhere else and apply
0: it to our. Two questions come to mind. when
1: Not trying to dummy down. What I'm really, <laughs> no,
0: no. I think that the analysis of what's working in an industry, but also understanding patients when you're in an industry like insurance, which is slow moving for a valid reason right? I mean, it is slow moving for a valid reason. We talk all the time on this podcast about, oh, it's an industry that's laggard behind other industries, which is true. But it's also an industry that is fundamentally responsible for businesses being able to take risks and build the world around us. But that always leads me to the next question, which is, what's a trend in the industry that you think that everyone is sleeping on that you think it from outside sources or from your deep experience that you think is something that's going to be disrupted pretty hard in the next five to 10 years?
1: I would say, I don't know if you would call this a trend, but I'll say that I believe what will continue to have a bigger and bigger impact into our industry that people are talking about but not really executing on is the concept of personalization, of bringing recommendations, bringing solutions to a customer, that could be an individual customer and or a group customer, that not based on listening to them and hearing what their needs are, and that's certainly part of the sales process and will forever be, engaging with their customer and hearing their problems. But there is a point in which that customer believes, in part, you should know some of the problems that they're having already. You should know what Potentially, they should be planning for it without them even talking to you because they're a company of a certain size in a certain industry dealing with this particular product of a demographic and a population of this mix of employees in this particular area, in this particular generation. And you should be able to scope and craft a solution and come to the table with something as a talking point. And I say folks are going to expect that because they're getting it in every other aspect of their lives, right? Like from the time they go shopping online, they go to the supermarket, whatever it is, there's some recommendation coming to them. And it's not because I filled out a 20-question uh, survey to begin, right? It's because they've taken the data that they've compiled from me and have used that to craft this model. And I think we're hearing that a lot. I just don't see as much application and actually a drive to use it and to put it into action. So I don't know that they're sleeping on it in talk. I just think in practice, we're not getting there yet.
0: One of the things in RevOps that I evangelize on and make sure that my team really works towards is personalization is key to operational buying. We're not in the age of information anymore. The idea that a buyer... In B2C or B2B, they're the same now. But in B2C, like, well, they know everything about the car before they come to the car lot. That was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the language of data. Now it's, you should know what kind of car to recommend to them that will fit them as soon as they arrive at the car lot. And they don't even have to do that research because they've already given you all that information to understand that. I think it's very similar in the insurance world is the more and more information that someone hands over, the larger their expectation that you're utilizing that to bring them a better gap-free experience, which I think if any company, insurance or car or software can maximize on, you're really converting a customer who's going to have a long tail with you. Because you're putting things in front of them that they do need, and you can grow with them. And to be quite frank, we all have this data. Every Almost every company has a plethora of data that they have no idea how to operationalize whatsoever.
1: Yeah, I can agree more. And you know, it's funny, I always think back. And every time I start talking about this, I think of a class that I had in college. And this is a long time ago. So it just shows the fact that what we're talking about here, to be honest with you, it's not about the technology. It's about rethinking. It is about the data, but it's business logistics, right? The right product to the right person in the right time. The three R's of business logistics that was in my textbook. Yes, we had them back then, right? And But that's what you're talking about. It's just now that on steroids that everybody can access and allow that to occur. So I think, again, I think the industry is sleeping on it. And I think it's a problem because think at some point in time, the new buyer is going to be put into that position and expect it. And it's not something you're going to be able to switch on and give to somebody if you haven't done some legwork behind the scenes to get there.
0: Yeah. One of the technologies that we're working on at TrustLayer is actually providing that the data to the underwriters so that they understand that this organization has taken risk compliance seriously, that they've, they have a good risk rating, they have most of their vendors under compliance, that they are regularly checking these things. And to be quite frank, right now in the industry, we're providing some of that information, but they don't really look at it. You know what I mean? It's a thing that we are hoping that people begin to pay attention to, and that actually impacts people's premiums and all sorts of items down the road. Because if you're going to implement these technologies and technologies are a tool, then the outcomes are actually business savings or net new success with capturing revenue. And I think we're still at the point now where the outcomes are not coming to fruition. So the industry feels like they have time, but some organization is going to capitalize on that, right? And I think will be a big value differentiator for the carrier that starts to look at that or the broker who starts to consider that and put people into tiers or even the businesses that are providing that as a way of showing their subcontractors that we really do care about your risk transfer and your liability and we're helping you navigate this.
1: 100%. 100%.
0: So when we're talking about the industry changing, we're talking about your role, which you're in the center of it. What are some of the stories that you have from the field that were big initiatives either at your current organization or that you've been part of that come to mind when you think about success stories?
1: Yeah, so we have a transformation in flight right now. Uh, We've been executing on a few years now, and we're starting to see reap the rewards of it in part. You know, it's a big, we're a 7,000 plus employee organization, 2 point whatever billion revenue. So it's not a shift that turns swiftly
0: it's a lot of turns but swiftly
1: enough yeah yeah i'd like to see it always talk about innovation you need to be uh patiently persistent right if that's the right way so we've been executing on this platform we call it NFP connect and it's really about changing at the core the way we do business so that that data can be organized more effectively and the systems we use organized more effectively to be able to be brought and to connect people with information because data by itself, you mentioned it before, there's plenty of data. It's about bringing it together. That's information. So we've been working on that and across our entire enterprise. So we sit in the property and casualty space, retirement, executive benefits, life insurance, wealth management. This is an enterprise wide strategy. So all of those platforms executing all of those areas executing on the same platform. So it's a big lift to get people to move and buy in and move in the same direction. But we've been pretty happy with the momentum we're picking up on. And as folks, it's really been built, again, going back to my point, we've built the framework and now it's using the platform to execute on business problems. So folks, if you take it back to pandemic days where this term of virtual open enrollment came into play and people were capitalizing on that. It's kind of nothing more than websites and open and admin systems. And we're able to effectively push solutions out at that time, enterprise-wide, scalably, because it was coming through a singular platform that we built where the data was all organized and housed. So people saw value in it and then they take that and say, hey, if we're doing it there, can't we use this to engage our clients and prospects differently and in the way we communicate with them about our value prop as opposed to printing off or emailing PDFs and PowerPoint decks. And then that then cascades into other, well, can't this be a landing page too? It will go move into our personalized division that'll allow them to effectively communicate with a digital buyer, right? So it's taking a piece of technology that we've built the platform we've built and now seeing folks bring problems to the table to be solved for using that technology. So. That's what we're most excited for and, and I feel like every week somebody the light bulb goes off for somebody and they've found a use case and that's how you get movement not because it's a mandate but because it's a movement and uh, we're starting to see that which is pretty cool it's cool you want to and we that are in the innovation space want to talk about the sexy things around ai machine learning and blockchain et cetera. but to get movement it's talking in english to the folks speaking their language and then allowing them to execute on problems. Behind the scenes, there can be a lot of what I just said happening, but that's a quick way to get disengagement is to get too fancy with the inner workings.
0: Yeah. One thing that all this is leading to is if you see change in your organization, what's the best way to approach that that you may have the most success actually getting buy-in from people? Is it... Building a presentation, is it gathering a bunch of data? Like, What is your go-to methodology for validating something that might need to change that you would recommend to someone that's 26 on your team when they see problems arise?
1: Yeah, so number one, I think that people in executive positions, leadership positions, et cetera, are all being graded somewhere, right? And so you try to find and prioritize with the big problems first that would have impact. So solving for something that is, it could be the coolest thing you've solved for, but if there's not a use case around it that is going to show some type of savings and efficiencies, some type of potential market you can open up, something of substance, there's not going to be, not because they don't think it's cool, it just doesn't have an impact within the organization.
0: It doesn't have the sticking and staying power where people can really latch onto it and carry it forward, right? The momentum is not there. That's what I've always said.
1: Yeah, they'd say, so what, right? Like, I'm glad you can do that, but so what? Tell me what, and even if, let's say, if you're solving and you say, well, listen, I'm only working in this particular area and I can only rethink what I do. Great, so that could be the case. Think about other use cases with your organization that you might not have impact to, but that you could expand that story to say, hey, if I'm able to do this here, then this can happen in all these other areas. And that becomes, a that's when it would become something bigger. So I think that's one thing I can tell you, you and it's not only always because of the person. I've been blessed enough to be within an organization for 20 years now. A lot of the leadership and executive team that I've worked with have been there at that that same time for that long, which is not something you see much any longer. And we have an organization that originally was built around acquisition of entrepreneurs and had a model built around allowing that entrepreneurship spirit to still exist even when in corporate which is not something you hear a lot. A lot of times you hear wrap-ups or roll-ups or whatever you want to call them. That spirit gets squashed and the leadership gets kind of leaves in a couple of years. That hasn't been our model. And so that has also allowed folks, if desired, to continue to be entrepreneurs. Like there was no head of innovation division that I, department or a leadership role that I applied for, it didn't exist. We just got there. There was no head of Ben admin that we applied for. It. And I'm not saying everybody can always create their own jobs, but only. If the organization allows for it, try to think outside of the normal if you want to continue to advance and if you have passion for what it is that you're doing.
0: Yeah. I think that's good. I think that some people need to hear that it's also being in the right organization. You know, one question I always get that made me think about this is background in advertising myself and in marketing and things like that. And I would get asked by a marketer, I work for an organization, a startup, so-and-so, and and how do I get traction because the CEO doesn't seem to care about marketing as a practice? I'm like, well, then you're probably working for the wrong CEO if your practice is is marketing and they don't care about it. You're not going to get very far along with that or you're going to have to start talking the other language that the CEO does care. You have two options there, right? I think it's really important for people to understand that it takes a willingness from the organization to change and be innovative as much as it takes people within an organization identifying and telling the story of change.
1: I throw in there both, right? Like, cause even if the company is willing, it doesn't mean that the first shot at it, they're like, yeah, tell me more. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Trust. So like, it could take a little bit, so you have to be persistent But you'll eventually know whether or not there is any type of glimmer of hope to get your story across or not, to your point. like It could just be like you're talking to a wall and it's never going to happen.
0: And if you like them or not, Obama gave my favorite analogy of change, which is it's a pendulum, but it's always clicking to the right, right? There's always momentum to the right. And so you have to have, I think, in order to do the job that you do, an inevitable ferocity to make change happen, but also patience to understand that there are hundreds of people in your job uh, doing their day-to-day jobs, right? You have all of these people in an organization. It's an organism. And change comes at being persistent and staying close to trends. Last question, what's a piece of advice or a book that you've read that you've carried with you through your career?
1: Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not a big book reader. I can't stay awake past the first couple of chapters. That's, but I do love to read articles and magazines. It doesn't mean I'm well read, not well read, but I like the cliff notes. So I'm not going to go book, but I'm going to go with a phrase that I don't know that it's necessarily something that only is something in my business career, but just life in general. It's one that I've seen recently on a poster, and I really love it. And it's about to go on my wall behind. It, it says, "Nobody cares. Try harder. Nobody cares. Like be better." Yes. There's always a reason why and, and everybody has an excuse. Nobody cares, just <laughs> figure it out. I think people appreciate that. I think leadership appreciates that I hear enough of the others. So if you wanna make a mark, figure out a way that you can get through whatever it is that would have been what you were complaining about, uh, whatever it is that's keeping you from your task, figure it out and be better. Cause that's what innovation's about, about being better.
0: I love that. Mine is similar. So I think I'll share it here, which is, There's the pale blue dot, which is that picture of Earth from space, right? And 50% of people who see it get freaked out because it's about, it makes them feel insignificant and what's this whole world matter. The other 50% of people see it and they feel like, oh, I'm insignificant, so I can do anything. Like I can try to do anything. And so my piece of advice is to understand that everything you do will probably be a failure, but that's the freedom of trying, right? Is that you can continue to try and you can continue to push that because it only takes getting at the right moment at the right time with the right information in order to make change happen in an organization. And you learn that determination by continuously trying to tr- transform yourself and transform the organization. So I feel like those two things could be in a book that neither of us would read because I'm not a big reader yet either. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you
1: put it in the first couple pages, I'll read it, but then,
0: yeah. you know. <laughs> that will be it. We'll actually buy all the spaces in the first couple of pages of other books. That will be the, our innovation there. Uh, that's awesome, great idea. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you for joining me on uh, this episode of Brick by Brick. And I look forward to seeing you at a conference or around the industry.
1: Yeah, thanks much, man, it was great.
0: Risk Management Brick by Brick is brought to you by TrustLayer. Find out how TrustLayer manages risk so that the people can build the physical world around us, head over to trustlayer.io, and then make sure to subscribe to Risk Management Brick by Brick on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the TrustLayer team, thank you for listening.